0: like the other poor devils in China, India and Japan, a great new field for sweatshops to be opened up, so that these new industries which we are creating in Britain today will be destroyed as the old industries were, simplified, rationalised machinery with a few white surveyors and then the masses of cheap coloured labour torn off the land and taken into the sweatshops to work and labour and cough their guts out with tuberculosis until they too thrown on the scrap heap of the sweatshops. Is that worthy of Britain? Is that to be the future of Europe? And is this competition to be organized within our European Brotherhood, bringing in these sweat fields in Africa into our Europe civilization so that the financial power in one European country can use it against the financial power in another? All the great financial central power of the world now shifted from the city of London to Wall Street, New York, shall be able, on the mass of money, of wealth, and of power which it brings to it, again and again to exert its influence in politics, until, as you see today, it is childish nonsense to say that a British government rules Britain. It's nothing to do with British government or the British people. The government of the world is the financial government, the power of money and of money alone. First and foremost, I want to say thank you to my Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I said those who bring evil against me will not prosper. I said those who stand in the dark can never come into the light. All praise be to the one and only true God, Jesus Christ.
1: to another episode of the Where Glory Awaits podcast. Hope you've been well. I've been well chasing the horizon and uh, some good seasonal work preparing for Christmas. Um, and during that time, I've been reading a lot about a man named Peter Kemp. Uh, Peter Kemp passed away in 1999, I believe. He has three memoirs he's written, uh, Always with Honor, No Colors or Crest, Always with Honor is about his time in the Spanish Civil War, No Colors or Crest, his time in the European Theater of World War II, and then he has a third memoir about his time in the Pacific Theater during World War II, and I can't recall what that memoir is called. Uh, At the moment. But all three are published by Mystery Grove Publishing Company. Uh, Mystery Grove Publishing Company also publishes uh, a piece uh, either by or on. uh, And I'm blanking on his name right now too. But he is the guy who was the leader of the white Russian opposition movement to the Bolsheviks. So if you remember the Reds versus the Whites. Uh, this guy was in charge of the whites, and I'm seeing his face. Rangel, Wrangel, W R A N G E L, Pyotr Wrangel, um, and and they have one Storm of Steel, which is on World War One. So great military history um, that. Should interest you if it doesn't especially uh, for guys uh, you you want to keep your martial spirit inflamed and informed so military history particularly uh, first person memoir accounts are are beneficial and it's the kind of company that gets banned under the new Twitter regime so it's a company that's got a lot going for it I want to tell you about Peter Kemp uh, because I think he's a guy that's helpful to know about. Um, I think his life commends itself to imitation in a good number of ways. He clearly had book smarts uh, because he graduated from Cambridge. And he graduated in that intermediate period between World War One and World War Two. So really coming on the scene at a, a tumultuous time in Europe. Graduating from Cambridge, um, he's the kind of guy that would have had the opportunity to hide behind his book smarts. A lot of guys are scared. They lack courage. They are afraid to get hit in the face. And so they, they find things to hide behind. Uh, he didn't shelter behind uh, his Cambridge education. He had the goal of becoming a uh, a barrister are also also known as a lawyer uh but interrupted that goal in light of the Spanish Civil War breaking out All right so the Spanish Civil War it took place between the first world war and the uh Bolshevik Rezo- revolution and world war 2 And it's not something we learn about in school. And there's, well, it's not something I learned about in school. I doubt you studied it in school either, or know much about it. You probably know the name Franco. And all I knew about Franco, who was a central figure in the Spanish Civil War, was that he was a fascist that somehow maintained uh, neutrality during World War II. So, not a guy you're supposed to like. Uh, only, you know, only only baddies, would, or, you know, would like this guy. Somehow maintain neutrality, uh, and so missed the glorious opportunity to defeat the Nazis and Hitler. So, one potential reason we don't learn about the Spanish Civil War is because being between two wars in which we were more obviously involved. Uh, you know, it's kind of drowned out in the shine of those two wars, so to speak. I also think one reason that it's not taught is because uh, though we were involved unofficially, and I can get to that, but we were involved unofficially, Britain was involved unofficially, we It's an instance of communists straight up being defeated, being crushed. And because communists control the media today and control the education system today, there is not much reason to uh, get into the details of that war. There's a lot of lot of reason to memory hole it because if you are controlling the memory of history, why would you keep fresh in our memories with great detail an instance of your embarrassing defeat? There's no motivation to do so, so I think in part it's it's a memory hole situation uh, you might. You know, in addition to Franco, the one thing in your mind about the Spanish Civil War might be La Guernica. Right? If you, uh, I think it's Picasso. If one of Picasso's most famous paintings is, it's oftentimes large in size and has a feel of a mural, and you know, Picasso has that disjointed, uh, aggravating style. And there's a bull, and there's people screaming, and it's supposed to portray the the bombing of this town of civilians by the nationalists, by Franco. So, those are two things you remember. Franco's a bad guy. Evil, Hitler-type figure. Somehow maintained neutrality, and he bombed civilians. And that's supposed to be bad. Now... uh I'm going to hold off on commenting too directly about La Guernica now because I want to hit it when I get to propaganda. But it's just very interesting. Just note, you don't know much about this example of communist military defeat. Uh, a, A defeat that happened in spite of American backing, British backing, Canadian backing. And all you somewhat know is, let's say, at a minimum, factually suspect. La Guernica is a... What you know about La Guernica is a straight-up lie. And then Franco is not as uh, flat a figure as you might want to imagine. But anyway, the Spanish Civil War breaks out. Uh, So the Bolsheviks, having secured power in Russia then went on to incur, how, how did the Spanish war come about? The Bolsheviks having established power for themselves they went on to start um, communist political parties Bolshevik inspired political parties in the various nations of Europe. These were called uh, Popular Front I think it was called Popular Front Political Party. And obviously the goal of each popular front party would be to gain popular support, ascend to institutional authority in a country, and then offer that nation up to the globally focused communist machine. right? So sacrifice that nation on the altar of Bolshevism with the popular backing of the people. And that popular front movement had great success in Spain. In fact, it had such success that, uh, as if I'm remembering Kemp's writing correctly, his account correctly, uh, they won the presidency. An explicit communist won the presidency of Spain. And um, in response to that, uh, the generals at the time understood that that meant the death of the nation if it wasn't opposed and so out of their loyalty for their nation they declare war and you know they made it very clear that we're not declaring war on spain but rather on behalf of spain to protect her from this communist threat the the generals recognized that there was no sanctity to democracy there's no sanctity to democracy. If the people, for whatever reason, elect one who will destroy them, then over and against the people's wishes, it's the duty of good men everywhere to stand up and uh, and intervene. And an example where this didn't happen would be Rhodesia. Now, uh, it's it's not as directly a people bringing upon themselves their own demise in Rhodesia because it was minority rule, and so uh, the majority kind of for a while had been in, infected by by communism. It's no surprise that they then voted for communism. But uh, through the maneuverings of Britain, uh you know, espionage and bullying, et cetera, et cetera. Um, A communist terrorist was uh, placed in the position of president over Rhodesia. And as soon as that happens, there are, you know, the, the entire military for years have been fighting a war directly against that guy. And instead of saying, no, this is unacceptable, we do not accept this, we know what this man's about, we we will continue our fight against him. They, out of some false understanding of honor, uh, stood back, allowed him to peacefully take charge, and then ruin the country from within. That was not what happened in Spain, and we should all be grateful for these Spanish generals uh, for doing their jobs, to protect the people. Uh, Let me make sure I'm following my notes here. So military revolt, generals declare war against the communist regime. So now there's two sides, right? You have the side of the generals and then you have uh, the side for the communists. On the side of the generals, uh, you had this, uh, you had the falange or the I, I don't. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it correctly. But so Falange, which was a fascist group, and if I'm understanding them correctly, a more secular fascist group. You had the Requetes, uh, and think of these guys as trad Um, So super loyal to the Catholic Church and tradition. They so they were. Uh, s- they self-identified as traditionalists. Interestingly enough, they came into existence years prior over a dispute of the monarchy. Um, they did not want Isabella to be queen because they they believed in a patriarchal monarchy that only men could sit on the throne, uh, and that was that was a belief. A traditional belief there was actually from uh, a French royal family tradition. Spain's long-standing tradition had been okay with uh, the chief monarch being a lady. Now obviously they can still claim to be traditionalists because fundamentally they are recognizing a truth about the created order. So they're being more traditionalist than their own country's traditions there. But they came into existence. There was a big war between them and those who were for the queen. That group maintained its identity and existence. And when the Spanish Civil War broke out, obviously they're going to see the communists as a grave threat to the existence of all that's good, true, and beautiful in Spain. And so they joined the side of uh, the generals and... As you read Kemp, he spent his first bit of time with them, these tradcaths, And uh, <clears throat> if you read this book, uh, Always with Honor, I think you're going to find that they display very impressive courage that oftentimes overcomes their lack of sharp military training. So you have the Falange, the requetes. Um, and then you have the Spanish Foreign Legion. And so these guys are going to be the dogs of war. The the best trained soldiers, really for any side. Kemp ends his time as, as an officer with the Spanish Foreign Legion. Um, and these guys really disregarded death. They... they it, it, you think of them in the best way as a death cult kind of like the marine corps uh on the side of the communists uh were the communists uh the catalans and so they weren't communists but they uh they wanted independence from um, the monarchy of Spain uh and well They wanted independence from Spain, and so they saw allying themselves with the communists as their their best chance of getting political independence on the backside. Now, that's foolish, because when when in history have we seen a weak group going to a strong, evil group that doesn't care about their agenda for help and that turning out well? Think of... uh, Think of what happened with the the Maccabees, right? The Maccabees eventually go to Rome to help them fight off the Greeks. And what happens? Well, you open up the New Testament and you have a Roman occupation of Israel. Uh, You you never go to a wicked and stronger force for help. If anything, you're just putting yourself on their radar. So, the Catalans were fools for it. But it's understandable they weren't communists. They were just trying to maneuver for their own independence. And they knew that they weren't going to get that. Uh, They didn't have a chance of that by being with the generals. right? Um, You had strong Russian involvement. uh, Both with equipment and soldiers, officers, training. Uh, You had milicianos. So these, were, these would be communist militias that uh, were uh, notorious for just the wicked, grotesque things they would do to people who came under their power. Um, and this would be made up of guys and girls. Um, and then, But that shouldn't surprise you either, right? Because a group that has Bolshevik influence, uh, you know, the, the Bolsheviks had no problem sacrificing women. For the for the sake of their cause, so think of Stalin filling up his military ranks with you know millions of women, just disgusting. And then there were international brigades, so the the communists at the time had widespread Western support, uh, and so you had an entire brigades from other countries. As the, as men flocked to help the communists. And that's no accident. It's no strange blip on the radar. Well, how, how could this be, right? The Cold War was about to happen where the entire West was against communism. And that's probably too simplistic of an understanding of what was happening in the Cold War. You had American brigades fighting for the communists. You had Canadian brigades fighting for the communists. British brigades fighting for the communists. Uh... The, the communist agenda, uh, with various different levels, uh, labels rather, was being promoted all across Europe uh, for the sake of enriching global corporate interests. And then you had a few, a few pockets of, popul- of populace and a few strong men. ...that refused to go along with that agenda, and then the goal was to crush those men. So Franco would be an example of a man who was refusing to go along with that agenda. Um, And so the nations of the West uh, gathered their strength to try to crush him. In this instance, not directly, but by uh, having no issue whatsoever allowing for international brigades of their own people, of their own men, to be formed. Um, And, you know, Kemp, well, before I get to that, uh, no, yeah. So, Kemp joins the Nationalists in spite of so much support for the Communists, because, uh, one, early on, more truth about the situation in Spain was allowed to get to the people of England than later on. Later on, the truth was more more effectively choked out and propaganda more effectively produced for the communists, right? And La Guernica would be a great example, right? You probably think of it as an instance of Franco uh, murdering people. What it actually was, uh, was the communists uh, Burning, burning the city as they evacuated it. So uh, the nationalists were about to take the city and the communists murdered the populace and burned the town as they left and then told the world through its propaganda arm, the mass media, mainstream media, that it was done by Franco. So propaganda like that became dominant in, in England uh, but Kemp was exposed to some true things about what the communists were about and were doing uh, and that angered him, right? So here's here's a man who is willing to answer the call to defend good uh, by using his body and violence, looking to violence as the answer to fight back her enemies, even as many of his own countrymen give themselves in the cause of wickedness. There's a willingness for a man to really be an island at the risk of his own well-being and potentially at the risk of of his ability to ever come home. Uh, The the nationalists were sufficiently unpopular that it would not have been beyond the pale of of reason for him to be permanently exiled. Uh, word got out what he was doing and, you know, a, a local police officer uh, visited him at his home one, one evening when he was visiting home and warned him. Uh, thankfully, it never came to that for Peter Kemp. So you, you see a, you see an example of a man who uh, has the courage um, and the, the fortitude to reject propaganda even at, as it floods him to reject the forces of evil behind that propaganda, to defend the good against her foes, and to then answer the the masculine call of the wild. Uh, Peter Kemp reminds me somewhat of uh, John Coey. John Coey uh, was training to be an officer in the Marine Corps in the Midwest, I think at Kent State, Um, and then the war in Rhodesia uh, was being fought at the same time as the Vietnam War was being fought, he recognized that our agenda was not actually to defeat the communists in Vietnam. It really, it was just theater. And so he removed himself from the States and went and volunteered himself in the service of Rhodesia, who at the time was was actually fighting to win and, and fought to win up to the end uh, when political betrayal ended that effort and then ultimately hesitancy uh, of of the generals, right? They acted like General Bragg of the Confederate Army who paused at the opportune time unto the destruction of his agenda. Uh, but you, you've you got a man who sees a situation that he can address and is willing to Cross the waters, cross the seas, cross the mountains to go meet this need. And, you know, I think we are very comfortable being spectators. We we watch a lot of exciting movies. We watch a lot of television. We read a lot of books where other men are doing great exploits. As we go about doing ordinary things. And it's, it's very easy to stay within the safety of ordinary things as fictional men go do great exploits. But there, there's no necessary limitation on great exploits to be done only in cinema and, and novels. There are manifold opportunities for great exploits for you to do and And Peter Kemp lived as an example of a man who said yes to that opportunity and was willing to dare to do something extraordinary uh and it's it's it, it's a he's a good guy to look at to know that you do not have to sit on the sidelines your whole life and then die a normal man you you can do that. But you can also go risk it for the biscuit, and uh it almost cost Kemp his life. He was incredibly blessed a number of times you would expect him to die uh you know one time he was defending a hill, completely outnumbered, losing ground, and he's trying to prevent his men from getting routed and completely uh Slaughtered to the last man, and that possibility is hanging on the edge. And uh, one of his fellow soldiers, who had been carrying the flag, had been shot down. And he runs out completely exposed to enemy fire, grabs the flag and starts waving it to rally his men's courage. Uh, And then he is, I think, shot through the neck, or something like that. Um. And lives, and he's totally fine. Uh, and then later, not on the, not in the immediate line of fire, in the tent of his commanding officer, sitting there giving a report, uh, a mortar drops in right beside him, and uh, and blows him up. And uh, he he more or less refuses to die, and so survives, but very very well could have died. And that you know there's an instance where there's another man who's in his hospital room, also gravely injured, and you could tell he's just he's honored to be sharing a room with an Englishman who would travel so far to to help him and his people and Kemp's passed out while recovering, and they've got to move guys uh, to make room. There's a there's a new offensive taking place, so the hospital knows it's going to get flooded with casualties. They got to move guys to another location further away. Uh, neither of these guys are in posi- in condition to be moved, but one of them has to be moved. And Kemp is passed out, and the Spaniard volunteers uh, because you know it, it was it would be such an honor to t- draw the short stick to the benefit of this Englishman who was willing to give himself for Spain, and that man died on the way to the hospital. Kemp obviously survived because he writes two more memoirs. You know, the the reality is, um, you're going to die. And in the grand scheme of things, it will be relatively short. Now, also in the grand scheme of things, you've got a long time, you know, 80 years of, of good labor to put into life. And then if you have kids, their years of life compounds into the effect you can have, right? So that you can directly affect the immediate course of action for 200 years. But on the other hand, even 200 years is short. And uh, it would just be a shame to make peace with mediocrity and normalcy when... Exploits are available to you. And Peter Kemp took the opportunity uh, to chase that exploit. and it, Even though he lived, it was at cost to him. When he first left for the Spanish Civil War, his father saw him off. And it was the last time he saw his father. And his father died of illness while he was away. He was able to get leave to make it home. To see him on his deathbed, but it was late. He arrived 24 hours after the funeral. But the reality is, Peter Kemp is a man. He's a son. He's not a daughter. You know, the 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 orientation of the woman is to the home. And the orientation of the man is outward and unto conquest. And it takes a kind of rejection of your family. So Peter counted that cost and then went and won glory for himself in Spain and conducted himself through the end with honor, you know, in a small way, every time he got leave and went back to England at great peril to himself, crossed international borders to make it back over and against the law of both England and France. Conducted himself with honor through the war at his own personal risk because he could. You know, he he embodies that English adventurer uh that that english traveling knight that Saint George that Lawrence of Arabia uh that lord miles rutledge vibe so I commend uh I commend a study of Peter Kemp's life to you commend to you his book always with honor I'm currently reading no colors or crest I'm interested to see how this book will wrap up I'm halfway through and he is he is um, doing special operations for Britain, so basically trained to do sabotage work behind enemy lines. Uh, and currently he has been parachuted into Albania to help various partisan groups against first Italy, and now after the Italian surrender, uh, Germany. What's very interesting is now all of his work is directed to helping the communists. So he, f- so he went from fighting the communists in the Spanish Civil War, and now, not because of his own choices, but because of the efforts of his government, his talents and his, his efforts are being given to strengthening communism in Albania. So I don't know what kind of commentary he's going to give to it, but it's very, you know, we've been taught that the that World War II is this good war, this righteous war, but the reality is the war was an effort to advance communism in Europe and to crush any belligerent nations that were seeking to oppose it. And if you don't believe me, look at the result of the war. That's what happened. Um, and so it's... it's you know, it's not an unknown fact that that British officers helped partisan groups, communist partisan groups, in uh, Yugoslavia, in Albania, for example. But Kemp's given us an on-the-ground, first-hand account. Check it out: Spanish Civil War, Franco, Picasso, Bolshevism, adventure, the spirit of the honeyote, Merry Christmas. Live like one of the Magi to foreign land following the star. And until next time, go with God.